Hello and welcome to this edition of Chapter and Verse, The Art of Selling Children's Books, a podcast designed to help you get your books into the hands of more readers. Today's guest is a neurodiverse author who is passionate about writing neurodivergent characters. Her first book, A Kind of Spark, won the coveted Blue Peter Prize and her second, Show Us Who You Are, was published in the spring. She is, of course, the fabulous Al McNichol. Just a quick editorial note, this interview was recorded several weeks ago, so some things will be talked about as happening in the future when they have actually already happened, but it won't stop you enjoying listening to this wonderful author. Hello Elle, welcome to the show. Hi Charlotte, thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful to have you here today, and because your books have been a phenomenal success. First of all, can you tell us what neurodiverse means? Yeah, so really neurodiversity refers to all of us, it means diversity of the brain, but neurodivergent, which is what I am, is when somebody is autistic or dyspraxic or has Tourette's or ADHD. It just means they use about 10% of the population have a slightly different neurological makeup. And um, yeah, and that's it just means different brain. I hope that's a good explanation. <laughs> no, that's great. How did you become an author? It was kind of by accident. I was trying to work my way into editorial and publishing. I really wanted to work in editorial, which is as I'm sure people listening know, the really competitive department um, in the industry. And I was working in another department and I just really wanted to be an editor. I never considered being an author because like so many young people, you're told that's not a career, that's not, you know, and, and I really believe that. I, I wasn't one of those kind of go-getters. When people said to me, that's not a job anyone like you could do, I went, okay, of course. And I just I never thought about it again. But I really wanted to be an editor. And um, I was going into a lot of publishing rooms and saying, you know, I really care about disability rep, um, especially in kids' books. And the response was was not usually, was usually not very good. So I was on my kind of last, my last try um, after about a couple of a year, couple of years. I said to my other half, I said, I'm going to go to Knights of, which is this great publisher in Brixton. And I said, I'm going to, you know, just give them my CV and say, if you ever need someone to proofread uh, or if you're working on a project to do with neurodiversity and you need a you know a reader or an editor I'm your girl and David Stevens who's the wonderful publisher at Knights of took a meeting with me and said well we don't have any jobs because there's literally like five of us <laughs> and we're tiny but if you have a book we'd love to read your book and at that time I just had you know I had thank goodness I had a book but it wasn't anything I wanted to show anybody <laughs> it was about 25,000 words long it was not very long the ending hadn't been written so I said okay I've I've got you know I've got something I'll let you read thinking that this was going to be the kind of humiliating end to my my attempts to work in in publishing but um actually he he loved the book and so did Isha the editorial director and, and that book became a kind of spark which they bought two weeks later so it was really by accident I became an author yeah and they got me an agent and and, and it took off from there that's fantastic so you know like you say it it took off how does the industry receive your kind of um campaigning about the lack of inclusivity now now that you have have your books published it's interesting um acknowledging that we're in a kind of unusual time and it's not you know the publishing is such a social industry and we're all doing you know zooms and, and teams it's not quite the same but um in some places it's been received phenomenally well i get dms from people who say i am secretly neurodivergent I've never felt comfortable saying it at work and um, I get I mean I'm amazed by those messages there is also a little bit of pushback still there are people who refuse to take my books for review because I'm autistic that's not a conspiracy theory I, I know who they are that, that, that's fine but um it's frustrating because you, you want to be judged on your work and not not who you are 
but I would say all in all publishing is especially children's publishing is a really lovely industry with people who just really want to make things better so once you start having conversations with people and actually giving constructive and proactive solutions to problems things do start to happen because people people don't know what they know so once you start talking about it there's there's you know and now that I am an author rather than a job applicant it's a lot easier to have those conversations and people almost nine times out of ten are more than willing to to do the work and to to get involved uh, the upcoming year for ND rep looks really in a healthy place compared to where we were two years ago so that's really exciting um so yeah <laughs> no that's great um you've only ever been published in lockdown so I imagine that was quite challenging what were some of the ways that you and your publisher reached out to audiences well it was tricky because nights of are tiny like I said they are only I think three or four years old and and have done a lot in those four years but a lot of their work consisted of really good relationships with bookshops. We're not obviously uh, a publisher that gets into supermarkets or any kind of big retail spaces. So bookshops were, were the real way in. So when it was announced that they would be closed for when, you know, not just for when A Kind of Spark came out, but for when Show Us Who You Are came out, it is a blow because you think, okay, that's our, that's our avenue. But thank goodness for booksellers who have been so innovative and so, so supportive. We just did an event with them at home with four indies you know, these four independent bookshops have, have come together to, to do these events. And, and I think it wasn't so much that we had to innovate, it's that everybody did. And everybody kind of reached out and said, okay, we'll do this. Who needs this? And, and that was, I mean, lockdown's been really hard, but I, I don't know any different. So I think for some authors now that now that I'm getting more friendly with, with other authors who uh, published books before, the pandemic I can see that they find it very difficult and they're obviously comparing to what they knew before and they're struggling a lot I I luckily don't have that because I just have what what I know but um I think just the way booksellers and teachers and librarians have all just immediately taken to our new online virtual platforms like Ducks to Water and everybody's kind of nobody's dropped the ball that's what's amazed me because it would be totally acceptable for people to drop the ball because it's such a difficult time to live in but everyone kind of went no now more than ever we're not going to drop this ball I'm trying to think of specific examples but it really is just the way virtual communication kind of came together and I think it worked for me because a lot of my readers and a lot of my followers are disabled so it gave them a way to access the industry they've never had before because they can't travel to London to, to see events. They can't go to certain festivals because they're not accessible. Now they were. And that brought a whole new group of readers in. So social media was really important, I imagine. Oh, huge. Yeah. I, I can't see this have being any way successful without social media. Definitely. The person just hopping onto the podcast next is Ella Chapman. Ella is a freelance marketing consultant who has worked on a big range of books, including Elle's, and she shared some insights with us about marketing Elle's titles, as well as books by some other big names you will know. Hi, Ella. Welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us about what you do? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, I am a freelance marketer um, specialising in book publishing. I pretty much run campaigns from start to finish, depending on what publishers need. Um, that can be for market analysis, campaign strategy, 
social advertising, ad booking, pretty much everything. Um, and I work across nonfiction and fiction, for both adult and children's. So the whole range, basically. Fantastic. And can you tell us about some specific children's and or YA campaigns you've worked on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I do a great deal of work with Knights of. I cover pretty much all of their lists. Um, so at the moment, we are prepping for the autumn. We have Candice Carty-Williams' new YA novel called Empress and Anaya. That one's coming in October, so we've got a big campaign planned for that. We've just released Happy Here, um, which was an anthology of um, 10 Black writers and illustrators. Um, and then uh, last year, I worked on the Adventures on Train series, uh, which is published by Macmillan, which is um, written by M.G. Leonard and Sam Sedgman. Um, and that's a great children's series. And so uh, I'm also working on Grown, the Black Girl's Guide to Growing Up with Bloomsbury as well, which is also coming in the autumn. Yeah, I just got a proof of that. It looks amazing. Oh, excellent. Yeah, no, it's an absolutely fantastic book. Um, and uh, the team at Bloomsbury are very excited about it. And I'm a big fan of the Adventures on Train series as well. You obviously work on some fantastic titles. But today, of course, we are talking about Elle and all the wonderful work that she does. Now, one thing that has been really interesting to watch in terms of her career is how it's taken off really, really, really quickly. And, you know, her story of just kind of making an inquiry with Knights of, uh, you know, it was all sort of, it's softly, softly, and then she just became a writer. And I know there was a lot of work came in, but from the outside, it looks like her career took off very quickly. I mean, how much of that story do you use or is within the marketing? Um, quite quite a story, to be honest. Um, as you said, like it might appear fast, but there's been a lot of work behind the scenes for a great deal of time. So um, so for Elle, a kind of spark was published um, on the 4th of June in 2020. Um, but she had her biggest book sales in July 2021 on the back of the Waterstones Children's Book Prize. So um, for Elle, I feel like she, you know, her first book was published in lockdown. That was obviously a story in itself, um, as many writers uh, ha had last year as well. Um, but that also um, has meant that she's had kind of a lot of time before a lot of the publicity came like so she's only just now meeting booksellers and only just now doing in-person events um so for Elle it probably feels like it's a <laughs> been a slow process but in terms of marketing it's it's always the storytelling piece you know sort of who the author is how they came to write the book you know their inspiration everything like that and the publishing journey um it all all plays into it and Elle is an absolute champion um on both social media and in person for both her story and sort of the sort of publishing industry as a whole um so in terms of marketing it it just means that we can maintain momentum for a long time when you've got an author who is so visible themselves as well yeah that must really help and you also mentioned the waterstones prize and she's won the blue peter prize which is you know they're both massive and really important prizes but also very exciting for her now talk to me talk me through how you use um prizes as part of your marketing because obviously it's a huge boost isn't it for a title absolutely yeah it's it's an opportunity to both reach new readers but also re-engage booksellers um Elle's, Elle's had booksellers 
championing her books from day one, but that meant with the Waterstones Prize, there was a, a dedicated focus across the UK, um, which meant that she got more of a spotlight than she ha perhaps had previously. So um, covers are updated, either stickered with the uh, prize itself or actually in the copy, marketing copy across um, sort of retailer feeds is also updated. Um, and it's an opportunity to sort of build immediate trust with readers when they approach something like that. So in terms of like recommendations, in-store presence, hand selling support, a prize offers that in sort of many moments where perhaps it hadn't previously. That's really interesting as well. And presumably it helps give a boost to subsequent books as well. Have you worked on Elle's second novel? Yes, yeah. Show Us Who You Are is absolutely fantastic. I cannot recommend that book highly enough. Um, yeah, so we did that. That came out before the award wins and it sort of coincided with the Blue Peter win, which meant that we could do a sort of a behind the scenes in terms of social advertising and targeting and pairing up of the two books. Um, but hopefully, yes, we'll see a knock on effect of that because where the readers come into the entry point on a kind of spark, it also means that hopefully they'll then move on to show us who you are. So in terms of where where the prizes came and the second book came out like it couldn't have been a better situation so hopefully uh, it'll just mean that we can can continue to build on on Elle as a award-winning name for future I also think it's interesting like I love both her books and the first one has um, a lot of history in it the second one has this kind of speculative sci-fi element to the story so again how do you does that affect the marketing in terms of topics or where you're placing the book? Um, not so much. There was definitely a conversation about market positioning, as there always is with any book. But where we're not doing series marketing with Elle, we're doing a bit more author brand marketing with Elle. Um, so, so Elle's name sort of a, is a lead on, on sort of uh, campaign copy as much as uh, the books themselves are. But yeah, it just means that there's an opportunity to reach a wider readership with sort of two categorizations of the book, I guess. But hopefully, you know, Elle, Elle's books have, have huge broad appeal so um where someone might not feel like the first is that um a topic they're interested in then you know we've got a second one as well but I think it's just a it's a credit to Elle's writing that she can write across different different spaces yeah definitely and just pulling in all those different influences she's obviously got lots of interests herself and she can pull them all in and combine them into what are also really contemporary stories Absolutely. And I think with Elle's books as well, the other thing that's worth mentioning is there's like the characters play such a strong part in that. Um, and I think that's also like, you know, in terms of the storytelling piece, that's what we see with, with, with books and other authors is that the story themselves are brilliant, but actually what people come back to are the characters that have been created. Definitely. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was who is reading her books, because they seem to have a really broad appeal from sort of quite from primary up to, you know, I know a lot of adults who are really enjoy them and recommending them to other adults not just children talk me through that what do you know about um, who's reading the books and how do you sort of then how does that affect your job uh yeah I think audience groups are always something that I always start with and there's always sort of a, a multiple uh, multiple options to be honest and it's it's about whether or how you tailor the campaign to those groups um you know the the buyer isn't necessarily the reader in children's books, which is always the hardest thing. But then that that means, you know, it offers you two opportunities, I guess, in order to reach someone. So um, in terms of marketing copy, that's that's sort of 
I guess where the advertising comes in with targeting, we can target by age groups or parents with certain aged children, interests, location. And then we also have schools and librarians that can kind of, you know, talk to different year groups as well. So for me, whenever I approach a campaign, it's never just sort of a, uh, of a one reader. It's mm. primary readers, secondary readers or primary buyers, secondary buyers and, and how we reach them with the different marketing pieces and assets that we have if we're talking about YA for example bearing in mind what you've just said do you do marketing to parents and also directly to readers is there a bit of both that goes on yeah definitely um I think there has to be in terms of hand in hand because yeah as I said that the, the, there's there's two opportunities to buy basically so it's all about aligning it to their interests proximity to where they're going to be and how they're going to discover their books um which is brilliant when you have someone like Elle and it's got a huge presence now across Waterstone stores and booksellers are champion it so there's the hand sell element as well um and also we've seen amazing pickup in schools and libraries as well so it's all about harnessing those sort of three or four different touch points of where you're going to reach that potential buyer throughout the day and in what space I think we in the book industry, we know quite a lot about how publishers talk to bookshops. But when it comes to sort of selling your books to schools, is it a question of going directly to libraries and librarians or do you speak to teachers as well? How do you make those contacts? Yeah, it's it's sort of a, a, a case by case basis almost. So so Knights of themselves have built up a really great rapport and connections with teachers, particularly on Twitter. Um, there's this really great thing if you tap into on uh, Edu Twitter, uh, where there are lots of teachers looking for resources. So um, you kind of have it in sort of more of that organic sense, I guess. Yeah. And then there are a bit more of like structured organisations that you can go to in terms of what you offer for resources and um, and sort of curriculum based opportunities. For libraries, we work with the reading agency. Um, they always offer incredible opportunities to reach you know um, hundreds of libraries across the UK. So there's sort of different 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 ways of reaching them to be honest. And it's all about sort of making sure that what book you have and the topics that they cover aligned to what's being discussed in schools at, at that moment. Now, before you go, you mentioned some really exciting books that you're working on this autumn. Well, I should say you're working on the marketing now <laughs> and the books are coming out in the autumn. Can you just give us a couple of snippets, information about the things that you're doing to promote those books? Absolutely, yeah. So one of the books that I'm working on is uh, Earthshot, which is the uh, climate change book with John Murray, um, and that has Prince William involved in it. That's going to be quite a high profile campaign. Um, we're talking to sort of uh, eco artists at the moment about how they can get involved in that campaign. There's sort of there's sort of the typical digital advertising strand to it, but really it's also how we can kind of make marketing a bit of a cultural conversation and how we can tap into that sort of wider PR audience reach with that and then um, for I can't say too much about Empress and Anaya with Candice Carter Williams but there's going to be um, a lot of Brixton based activity on that one um, and we've got some incredibly exciting partnerships with some local organizations as well on that and then uh, one of the other books which is completely different to the other things I'm working on I work with Michael Mosley and Claire Bailey on the Fast 800 titles uh, and he has a new one coming later this year so it's sort of about how we're leading uh, building pre-orders in the, in the run-up to that so a lot of digital stuff as well. So really exciting mix of campaigns and titles. Yes exactly different hat every day. Ella Chapman thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.
Well, can you tell us about your second book, um, Show Me Who You Are, which I believe has just come out? Yes, it came out on Thursday, the on World Book Day, on the 4th of March, the same day that A Kind of Spark won the Blue Peter Book Awards. So it was a bit like an older sibling, like swooping in and, and taking taking the day away. But but um, it's a science fiction book. I do write, uh, I try to populate my books with as many neurodivergent characters as I can, just to offer a variety of representation. And I loved how much people loved A Kind of Spark, but I was very aware that people assumed it was a memoir and it's because it's contemporary they assumed it was me so I wanted to write something very genre you know strong high stakes uh, science fiction adventure so that's what shows who you are it's really hard to talk about because there's so many spoilers it's about it's about two kids who are who sort of find each other in in difficult times in their lives and their friendship becomes the real heart of the book and one of them their father owns a company called pomegranate who uses artificial intelligence and hologram technology to make people live forever as as digital versions of themselves and poor other protagonist at first thinks it's phenomenal and Adrian her best friend thinks it's horrible and it's about what's really going on at pomegranate yeah it's adventure it's I've got the sweetest letter from a boy called Albert who who read it and he was just saying how much he loved all the science fiction aspects so it's just a way to give you know tell a good story I hope and also give ND kids um more genre to play in and not just contemporary fiction I wanted to ask you about your readers' reactions, whether it's those reactions are different when it comes to adults and children. Have you, do you get different responses? Uh, oh, a thousand percent different responses. Not not negatively, but, but kids just really get it. They really understand what the books are doing. They, with, with a kind of spark, they just want to ask questions about, you know, Addie's favourite colour, what do Nina and Kitty fight about all the time? Like, they just love the characters and they love, the family not drama but the family dynamics of the story the feedback has been that they love the adventure and they love the the fast pace and the friendship adults always want to talk about the representation aspect which is fine but sometimes I wish I could talk a little bit more about the actual story um, because that's where all the work goes into really um uh, kind of spark I did so much research on witch trials because it's about a girl campaigning for a memorial for witches all this research on witch trials and I, and I, I don't get to talk about it that much because people just want to talk about you know they just want to say you're you're autistic can you can you talk about that and I'm just a bit like I can but but I you know um and I think that's quite typical of own voices authors um authors who are maybe on the margins a bit they do get asked you you are expected to be an activist all the time not just a writer Mm -hmm. um but the kids don't they don't care about any of that they just want to talk about the story so I love being able to do virtual school visits because I get to talk to the real readers Mm -hmm. and I but the beautiful thing about adult readers is so many of them write in to say I I love that I wake up every morning and I have a long essay in a DM from somebody (laughs) each morning a new person saying you know I I feel like a kid again this is the book that I needed when I was a kid and I didn't have it or this could be me I never thought that the problems I was having might be down to you know not being you know having support needs so that's lovely to meet adults who sort of needed that that bit of their childhood back but yeah very very different reactions <laughs> and what's next do you have are you are you already writing another book yes I'm on book three which is due the first draft due in May so I don't know what I'm allowed to say about it it's it's fantasy it's got like magic in it so again I want to just keep playing with genre and letting kids see a, f- a full wheelhouse of, of neurodivergent stories so yes it will be it's 
not a spark sequel as much as people might be upset to hear but um <laughs> um it's a <laughs> it's a new um standalone book with a bit of magic in it um and in terms of your peers other writers and creatives um who is making art works of art with neurodiverse characters that you admire it's not fiction but Dara McNulty has had an incredible year with um Diary of a Young Naturalist which I've I loved and I think that our I mean that book was a was a massive success but I think that our journeys are quite similar and that we've had the same kind of barriers and the same issues with the industry so I love him uh Rachel Lucas is a really lovely sort of teen women's fiction writer and she's written a beautiful book called um State of Grace which is sort of a teen book about um a neurodivergent girl there's a book coming out called A Different Sort of Normal and it's a again it's non-fiction I'm afraid but it's a middle grade uh memoir from a late diagnosed autistic writer which I'm excited for Puffin are bringing that out I believe uh who else uh, Lizzie Huxley-Jones is I guess it's all non-fiction I mean this is the thing there's not that many people writing indie kids in fiction so Lizzie Huxley-Jones is an editor and a, and a writer for Scholastic who's brilliant as well so the year coming up I'm very excited about I think it's going to be a bumper year and hopefully we'll carry on in that in that way and my final question is if you had a message for aspiring neurodivergent authors and their publishers what would it be this is going to be a long rambling answer I'm, I'm afraid but um I would say it's very hard you have to work very hard it's very difficult to have something very personal be part of your career it's difficult to get horrible messages every day from people who don't think that you should be the way you are. It's difficult to get microaggressions constantly. It's difficult that people have very little understanding of their own internalized ableism, that they ask hurtful things sometimes, even people in your own team. And that grates on you. So I would say think very hard about how you, how public you want to be. I am public because of the kids. I have to be as vocal about this as possible so the kids can see it and that benefits because I get the most incredible letters and drawings from kids saying you're the first indie adult I've ever seen and I didn't know that they existed or I want to be a writer now because I've seen it that's why I do it for for that and I it's worth it to see kids running from the back of the classroom to get to like get a really close look at you on the screen because they've never seen anything like it but it's hard publishers <laughs> this, I mean this is even longer I would say to publishers it has to be in the whole room it's not enough to just have disabled writers once a season there should be disabled editors there should be disabled reviewers there should be disabled people on the pr campaign there should be disabled people um in the rights department it, it has and this goes for all you know all diversity of, of color of background of sexual identity i mean all of them it can't just be the odd person every now and then it has to be the whole room full of different opinions because I'm not the voice for my whole community. I've been called a token by people in the industry who have not read my work. It's hard. It's really hard. So I would say to indie writers, please do it. We need your voice, but you are not obligated to share everything. Your privacy is your privacy. And to publishers, you have to be the ones filling up that room it's it's not enough to put all of the, the the pressure on the writer on the creator and say well if if there's any you know if the chips fall badly it's the writer's fault 
Um, I don't know if this is making any sense. Um, but basically, publishers, they're not going to come to you, I think. When it comes to disabled writers, there's, there's problems with accessibility. There's problems with gatekeeping. There's problems with just general lack of desire to approach because of, because of the way the system is. Publishers have to go out and find these people. They're not going to always come to you. They're not going to wander into Brixton and, and ask for a job and, and luckily have a book. That was, that was very, very unusual. So to summarize, uh, indie writers, we need you, <laughs> but be good to yourself and publishers do better. So <laughs> And reach out more. Yes. Yeah. Do the work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Elle. It's been so fantastic having you here today and to sort of see and speak to you, even though uh, it's uh, only over <laughs> the internet. I too am really excited about there being more books from neurodivergent writers this year. And uh, I'm looking forward to the Abigail Balfe and the Dorrit McNulty, but you've just given me a list of other people to check out. So that's great. Before you go, we've just got a couple of questions that we, we're asking all of our guests. And mm -hmm. so the first one is, what is the best thing about being a children's writer in the UK? Definitely the children. It sneaks up on you how great that is. But this is an incredible generation um, at the moment. And they ask the best questions and they're so smart about the world and so informed and very sensitive and empathetic. And uh, the children are the best part of the job. Absolutely. Who in the children's book world do you really admire and why? Oh, there's so many people. Um, I work with a team of very admirable people because everybody's campaigning for a much more inclusive industry. But if I had to name one specific person at the moment who I'm really in awe of, it's probably uh, Leila Hudson, who curates and, and highlights books by diverse authors. And she is just the biggest light in the community. She's so supportive of all authors. She's such a brilliant bookseller. It's such a hard job. I used to be a bookseller. She's 10 times the bookseller I was. She is so empathetic and clever and she's a judge on a few prizes and she always has the best, the best taste. So yeah, Layla Hudson, I love. And finally, what are you most looking forward to in 2021? <laughs> I don't, don't want to jinx it, but um, <laughs> I really just want to get out of here. Um, I'm really looking forward to hopefully, I always go back home to Edinburgh in August. I'm really looking forward to seeing this new hybrid Edinburgh International Book Festival. I can't wait. Thank you, Elle. It's been fantastic having you here on Chapter and Verse. And thank you to you, all the listeners, for tuning in. Do follow Rocket, the bookseller, me, Charlotte Eyre, and Elle on social media. Elle is Books and Chokers on Twitter. And make sure you pick up a copy of her books, A Kind of Spark and Show Me Who You Are, if you haven't already. They are available in all good bookshops, including, as she mentioned, Roundtable Books in Brixton. Thank you. Thank you.